Can you believe we've been at it for uh, that long? And I have one more question. Now, unless I get any more questions from anybody, email or text or um, whatever, then we'll move on to something else after next Sunday. Next Sunday, um, remember, is bowling. Oh, also next Sunday, I want to let you know that uh, Martha Liberty, who lives in uh, the state of New York and who is part of our congregation through Zoom, is uh, sharing a testimony next Sunday. And so uh, we will be able to meet Martha through Zoom and uh, be encouraged by her story. And so life's big questions. What's the big deal about sin? That's what we're looking at today. Oh, favorite topic, isn't it? We just all love to talk about sin. If we have no sin, we deceive if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. I've collected a few quotes uh, different times and different places, different people have something to say about what sin is all about. Some quotes are profound. Some are profoundly sad because of uh, how they, you can read their hearts as I read their quotes. Here are a few of them. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. That is, John Owen said that. Sin is the absence of God, nothing more, nothing less. Simon Marr. A large part of mankind is angry, not with the sins, but with the sinners. And that's Seneca the Younger. That's an interesting quote. How about this from Rick Joyner? Is the Lord does not forgive excuses. He forgives sins. And how about this one, Oscar Wilde? This might make you cry. You will always be fond of me. I represent to you all the sins you never had the courage to commit. I'm not going to read that again. Here's Billy Joel. You weren't expecting to hear a Billy Joel quote, were you? Billy Joel said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. You figure that one out. C.S. Lewis said, Every sin is the distortion of an energy breathed into us. And somebody said this. Somebody. He said he does a lot of quotes. Anonymous. Counting other people's sins does not make you a saint. Ooh. How about, um, how about this one from Martin Luther? <laughs> You figure this one out. Be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. How about this from Marilyn Monroe? You know who that is, right? Marilyn Monroe. She said, I am good, but not an angel. I do sin but I am not the devil. 
I am just a small girl in a big world trying to find someone to love. How about this from uh, Peter Kreeft? We sinned for no reason but an incomprehensible... uh, But let me start again. We sinned for no reason but an incomprehensible lack of love and he saved us for no reason but an incomprehensible excess of love. And one more, and S.M. Sterling said, a sin is wrong, not because it makes you feel bad, though it should, but because it is wrong. So we're going to ask the questions. Uh, what is, th- is this question relevant? Um, what is the challenges? What are the challenges in answering this question? Why is the best, what, what's the best answer, and how should I respond? And so relevance. <clears throat> First, I want to I look at the word sin, what it means. And I think most of you know what it means. And it is a, a Greek word that carries the idea of missing the mark. Actually, Homer in his writings from way back 2,000 years ago or, or more, whenever he wrote, that was before then, I think, is um, he wrote about armored or um, military Individuals throwing a javelin and missing the target. And so that's what the word means, missing the target or missing the mark, exactly what it means. And he, he used that word some 100 times in his writings. And so in the Bible, this signifies a departure from or a falling short of God's holy, perfect standard, missing the mark we we can't live up to what God wants us to live up to God's standard we can't do it it's impossible for us and so God's perfect standard of what is right in word or deed Augustine defines sin as a word deed or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God some might think well sin well of course nobody's perfect you know, and the Word of God would wholeheartedly agree with you. Nobody is perfect. And so you'd be right. For all have sinned and fall short. There's that word, falling short. That's missing the mark. Sinned. So all have missed the mark and, and, and are missing the mark when it comes to God's Word, God's, God's uh, desire, and God's law. And so all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Let me ask you a question about that verse. All have sinned. What does all mean? Does that mean everybody? Yes, everybody sins. Absolutely everybody. We can't help it. It's in our nature. And so make no mistake about this either. Uh, Children don't have to be taught to sin. You ever notice that? You don't have to teach them to sin. It's in their nature from the very beginning. It comes naturally, suggesting that it's in our nature. Our oldest daughter, Beth, sweetest little girl when she was two. (laughs) I didn't ask her permission to use her in a sermon illustration. I hope she doesn't listen. (laughs) What? Somebody shouldn't listen? No. Um, so, yeah, when she was two, just sweetest little girl. And I remember we had a, a box of cassette tapes, and she was pulling out the cassette ribbon, right, and just having fun. And, and I'm looking, no, don't do that. No, don't. 
you know. And so I took it away from her and put it back in the box after I put the ribbon back in there. Uh, you know what cassette tapes are, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I, yeah, some of us are a little older, right? It, and so she looked at me and grabbed the cassette tape and started pulling out the ribbon just in defiance. I could not believe it. I said, no! Whack on her hand. And, you know, she gets the, you know, the, the guilt, sad look on her face, right? And ready to cry, but mm, she's not going to cry. And I put it back in the box. And she looks at me. And she grabs it a third time. I could not believe it. And I gave her a spanking. But what is that? It's sin. And nobody had to teach her that. It was in her nature. And, and, and so that's a problem, right? I remember one time she was in front of the fireplace about the same age. And she was drying off in front of the fireplace. And I said, okay, come to daddy. And I have the towel, you know, ready to wrap her up and dry her off. And, and she goes, no. And she just backs up right into the fireplace grill. And guess, yeah, it left a mark. Yeah, see, a little waffle butt there. <laughs> it was just, just hilarious. Okay, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> if we all fall short and if no one is perfect and if we all sin why are we bothering talking about it you know I mean everybody's doing it right everybody sins because when we read further into Romans we're told that the wages of sin or the result of sin is what it's death and we're not talking about oh we're just going to die someday no, we're talking about eternal death. This is eternally separated from God. That's the result of our sin. That's what sin does. I like the way the Good News Translation puts it. For sin pays its wage. Death. Sin pays its wage. A few Sundays ago, when we were talking about what happens to us when we die, I explained that death came into the world as a result of sin. God had created the world, and in God's words, he said, that's what I'm talking about. No, he said, it's very good. Well, kind of the same thing, right? That's what I'm talking about. And, and so it was very good. I mean, everything was perfect, just one act of disobedience, of rebellion, brought death. Just one act. Just one boo-boo. One mistake. One sin. And death entered the world. If you recall, it's not just physical, but spiritual death. Spiritual death, and if not corrected, it's eternal death. Listen to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities, another word for sin, your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So sin causes 
what we call this serious separation from God. That's what sin does. It's separation from God. That's, that's the result of it. And the result of that is death. And separation from God is spiritual death, and then spiritual death, if not corrected, goes on. And so therefore, sin is a big deal. And we should talk about it. And so we need to answer that question, what's the big deal about sin? I think it's a relevant question. Any amens? Amen. It is a relevant question. What's the big deal about sin? Now, what, what, what's the difficulty in talking about sin? Well, it's everybody's favorite topic. No. Well, if it's somebody else's sin, right? Then it's a really, you know, that can be bad. Don't, don't be that way. Um, so a couple of difficulties. Number one, uh, sin is viewed as a negative word in our culture. Like who really likes to be told that they don't measure up? that you fall short, that you're missing the mark. Scott McKnight is the professor of New Testament studies at Northern Seminary in Illinois. He would have his students repeat the Lord's Prayer after one of his classes called Jesus the Nazarene, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. He explained that Matthew's Gospel uses the word transgressions in the Lord's Prayer, the, uh, transgressions, but Luke's Gospel uses the word sin. And so he liked the word sin rather than transgressions because people really knew what that meant, right? And so he, but he liked Matthew's version. And so what he did is he changed out the word transgressions, which means sin. He changed that word out and used Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer and put and use the word sin in that version. And so every day in his class, they would recite and learn the Lord's Prayer that way. And his, the, the reason he did this is that he needed his students to hear the word sin. This is what he said. I need them to hear that word sin over and over and over again. Now to some students, this practice didn't make much sense. And I'll let Scott tell the story. He said, two student conversations represent the responses I usually get. One student told me he had almost never heard of sin in any church service. A second student told me she was offended that I would import the word sin into the Lord's Prayer because it was such a negative and harmful word. And so, do you see the two responses? The two typical responses? Sin's never taught in the church. And sin is negative. And we shouldn't talk about it. So, not only did I urge her to take a good look at the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, 1-4, I urged her to reconsider what she was saying. Saying that each of us sins isn't harmful? It is true. It tells the true story of who we are and what the gospel is designed to accomplish. These are students of the Bible that are saying these things. That have an issue with talking about sin. If believers shy away from talking about sin, then what about unbelievers? That's right out the window. And so that's the first difficulty is sin is, is not a popular topic. It's not, it, it's, 
it's often seen as, as kind of a negative thing, right? The second uh, problem with discussing this topic of sin is the God of the Bible is really unknown today, even uh, among those who are, uh, identify as believers. God loves everyone, right? Just God loves everyone. Just, just God loves everyone, and that's just God loves everyone, and that's all. And that's all they know right? Consequently, the understanding of sin is neglected or or relegated to the unimportant. Maybe I'll look at it later. And and so sin, the topic of sin, is kind of like, well, we all have junk drawers, right? You know, you have that one drawer in your house, maybe two, that everything goes in there. You don't know where else to put it, and so you just put it in the junk drawer, right? That's what people do with sin. Well, I mean... I it might be useful later, but you know to know about that. But so I'll just put that in the junk drawer just in case I need to find out about it. Um, and, and and so so some people think it's an old idea that has long since lost its value in our modern society. The problem with this is that it is that's those that that thinking those thoughts that's foreign to the God of the Bible. That's absolutely foreign this is a false god one they've recreated in their own image to be more palatable easier to swallow again i'd like to quote dr mcknight he said to many sin has fallen into grace what does that mean when we talk about god's grace we are assuming the reality of sin that we are sinners and that god has forgiven us but in our language today Sin is not only an assumption, it is an accepted assumption. And not only is it an accepted assumption, it also doesn't seem to matter. It's as if we're saying, yes, of course we sin, and then do nothing about it. Widespread apathy towards sin reveals itself in the lack of interest in holiness. This lack of zeal for holiness has produced a trend acceptance of sin ignorance of its impact and weakened relationships with God people and the world so this is what R.C. Sproul said in the holiness of God God's grace is not infinite God is infinite and God is gracious We experience the grace of an infinite God, but grace is not infinite. God sets limits to his patience and forbearance. He warns us over and over and over again that someday the axe will fall and his judgment will be poured out. And so we ignore sin and pretend it isn't there. Now, just because sin is perceived by some as negative, unattractive, That doesn't mean that we should bury our heads in the sand and pretend it isn't an issue. The exciting thing is, it's only when we know the depth of our sin. Let me say that again. When we know the depth of our sin, it's only then that we can fully appreciate the love and grace of God and what to the extent he went after us. Our creator wanted us back 
And so it's only when we know the depth of our sin can we fully appreciate what God did for us through Jesus Christ. Amen? So, the best answer. A part of discovering the big deal about sin is finding out where it came from in the first place. And there are three things I'd like to draw your attention to uh, about that, about where sin came from in the first place. Now, the first sin... do you know what? Do you remember in the Bible what the first sin was? You're going to be wrong. <laughs> so I'm not going to let you answer. <clears throat> I'll just tell you. The first sin doesn't belong to Adam and Eve. No. Uh, this belongs to Lucifer or Satan. Right? Uh, there are two passages of Scripture that describe the fall of Satan. And I won't read them entirely, but for those of you who would like to look them up, we're talking. Uh, about uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Now listen to what we find in Ezekiel 28. You were the signet of perfection. This is talking about Satan. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And you were filled with violence in your midst. And you sinned. And so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you or guardian cherub from the midst of the stones of fire your heart was proud because of your beauty you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor I cast you to the ground I exposed you Isaiah chapter 14 tells a very similar story Verses 12 and 13. How you, have, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will send, ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So I want you to notice that the very first sin was Lucifer's. Uh, Notice that God does not tolerate sin. Uh, Sin is judged and will, in the end, be completely judged. Revelation chapter uh, 20, we read that Satan um, and all of his uh, partners are cast into the lake of fire. And he will be there for eternity. And so that's the first sin. Now, After that, sin infects mankind. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will will certainly die. That's Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul explains this uh, to the Romans. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. That's Romans 
Of course, as we learned from Ezekiel, Satan was in the Garden of Eden to kind of encourage mankind to fall, to sin, to go against God, right? And to help bring sin into the world. He wasn't satisfied to just to be destroyed himself. He wanted to take as many as he could with him. What was considered sin? Disobedience to God's word. They were disobedient. Can you, can you figure that out? They, were, they, had, they had trees and fruit and everything in the garden. Everything was, the world was available to them. And they chose the one thing. The one thing that God said would bring death. That's sin. That's sin. We could have the world in front of us and we would do that one thing that's against God's word. That's, that's a story that plays over and over and over again. And so sin infected mankind. And then the first mention of the word sin. I want to go there as well. And I think most of you know this. After sin had entered the world, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And that was God's grace, by the way, that God kicked them out and kept them out of the garden. Left an angel there with a flaming sword saying, no, you can't come in here. Why? Because they might eat from the tree of life and then they would be forever separated from God and no chance of redemption. Right? And so God said, no, not coming in here. That's God's grace. And so Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They had a family. Two sons are mentioned, Cain and Abel. And it appears that Cain brought his offering first. I'm going to read that from uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. As soon as I get there. That should be easy to find in your Bibles, right? Right at the very beginning. So... This is starting at verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So to me, it appears that Cain brought his offering first. He started out. He was going to worship the Lord. And so he brought his offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also. So Cain was mentioned first, Abel second. So this is why I think that Cain brought his first. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. That's the first mention of the word sin. Well, it appears, again, that Cain brought his offering first. Uh, now, is there, a def is there a difference between the two offerings? Well, one brought fruit and, and from the ground, and one brought the first fruit of his animals. Okay, that implies that, that there was bloodshed. 
that's important that blood was shed um, it, now it doesn't say that Cain brought the first he just brought from the fruit so maybe he partied with what he maybe he partied with his own harvest first and then gave God second but Abel gave God first and gave from the first there's a difference and, and so some maybe believe and, and it, 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 this could be valid that there was no bloodshed when Cain offered the fruit of the ground but there was bloodshed when Abel and so God gives him an opportunity says if you do well okay then your offering will be accepted I think God was saying you, you, you need to you know do some trading with your brother and bring a lamb or a, a, you know and shed some blood that's what it's going to take and, and so Cain's heart was not in the right place obviously now so I think that's what it means if you do well I, I think th there was two things there and it could be either or combination or both the first and the blood right and um, Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, it's that was pointing to Jesus, isn't it? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. I mean, the shedding of the, the sheep's blood and the goat's blood or the bull's blood or any blood that was sacrificed to the Lord, that was only temporary, a covering that pointed to Jesus. That there would be a perfect sacrifice that was going to pay for your sins and for my sins. It was only temporary. The, the sheep's blood was only a covering to hold us, to keep us until Jesus made his sacrifice. And so God tells Cain that he needs to rule over sin live victoriously right don't let it don't let it have the victory over you and so from just what we've learned from those three things about the origin of sin we can say the following and why sin is a big deal number one sin is rebellion bringing condemnation bringing judgment and bringing death We've learned that already, just from those three things. Satan actively encourages sin in your life. We can say that from what we've learned from these first three things. He's not a nice person. <laughs> he, he really isn't. Our sin caused separation between God and man. It was our sin, our mistake, our error, our rebellion. That it, we were represented in Adam as he sinned. And so it, it belongs to us. The, the separation the, it is our fault. It's in our nature. We can't blame God for it. And we all struggle today still to rule over our sin nature. Listen to this from Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. And this is from the New Living Translation. I like the way it says it. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And so sin is always bothering us. Sin always wants to get a hold of us and wants to defeat us. But the Holy Spirit that lives in us, when we invite Jesus to, to, to dwell in our hearts, when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome and helps us to have victory over sin. And so, <clears throat> let me ask, just looking at the origin of sin, is sin a big deal? Is it? Absolutely it is. Sin is a big deal. And so, quickly let's look at some biblical definitions of what sin looks like. Sin is breaking God's law. The most well-known laws of, uh, uh, of God are the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments that, that Moses uh, received. Who hasn't broken most of them, including murder? Okay, well, and, and, and you're thinking, oh, I haven't killed anybody. Well, do you remember when Jesus said, he who thinks it in his heart uh, about looking at a woman and uh, you've committed adultery already because you're looking at a woman with lust in your heart, right? So it's just like doing it. That's what, God, that's what Jesus said, right? And so who hasn't wanted to kill their spouse? Okay, I'm not asking for a raise of hands or anything like that, but I mean, you, you've wanted to kill... <laughs> you've... <laughs> you want, but who, who's not wanted to kill somebody on the highway? You know, road raids. I mean, or at least hurt them badly. Uh, is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Okay, and so the, the same logic applies. You know, we're guilty. We're guilty of every one of the last Ten Commandments. Every one of them. We're all guilty. We can't do it. We're, so we're breaking God's law. Um, that's So the, that's the... the First definition of sin from the Bible is breaking God's law. Um, Matthew, uh, ignoring God. That's the second one. Ignoring God. Who hasn't ignored God's word on a particular subject, like the call to forgive one another or to love one another? Through Jeremiah, God said, they have turned back to the iniquities, that's sin, another word for sin, of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. And then uh, that's Jeremiah 11.10. Because of that, God brought calamity on them. And he, God wasn't just punishing them just because he's mean. God wanted them back. God wanted them to pay attention, and he wanted them back. He wanted their relationship with him restored. And that's why he brought calamity on them. Uh, third, unbelief. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Talking about, uh, that's Mark 16, 16. And talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said when he has come, he will convict, convict the world of sin and of, unri uh, of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. That's John 16, verses 8 and 9. And then what about doing what you know to be wrong? That's what we typically think of sin as. Well, we're just doing wrong things, bad things, things that are wrong. This could also be called sins of commission. 
And this is what Psalm 19.13 says, New Living Translation, Keep your servant from deliberate sins. That is, we decide to do wrong. Deliberate sins. Don't let them control me, then I will be free from guilt and innocent of great sin. And then what about, uh, the next is uh, number five, not doing what you know to be right. Not doing what you know to be right. Uh, This could also be called sins of omission. Now if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That was James chapter 4 and verse 17. So th- those, those are five biblical definitions of what sin is, what it looks like. Now, I didn't even talk about the horrible effects of sin. There are physical effects. Our bodies deteriorate and die. There are psychological effects. Isaiah proclaims that the wicked have no peace. That's Isaiah fifty-seven twenty-one. There's environmental effects. All creation groans waiting for the redemption of man, Romans chapter 8. Cultural division, languages were confused at Babel. That was as a result of sin. The long and the short of it, we sin because we're sinners. That's why we sin. And we sin a lot. Amen? Nobody wants to say amen to that. But we, do, we, we sin a lot. And because of that, we have a problem. Separation from God because God is holy. Condemnation, death, these are problems. The problem of sin caused the Apostle Paul to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans chapter 7, verse 24. So how do we respond? Perhaps you've thought like so many, I don't have a sin problem. I'm pretty good. (laughs) Really? I'm a good person. I really haven't killed anybody. Well, and I try to love my neighbor. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf, and our iniquities or sins like the wind, have taken us away. The fact is, God gave the law in the Old Testament to show us that we couldn't measure up to God's standards. We miss the mark terribly. We're sinners. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? You know, I, I preached a sermon at, um, at a funeral uh, one time. And I, and I said, you know, there are a lot of people that misunderstand what sin's all about. And I said, a lot of people think that they have to be, you know, that God looks at what they've done, you know, their, their sins on one side and the good they've done on the other side. And they're thinking, well, I'm not really a bad person. God will judge. And, and if I, this is what people think. If I do more good, good's on this side. If I, if I do more good than bad, then God's going to say, ah, you're in. But, you know, I mean, and everybody thinks they've, you know, they're better than they are, but sin doesn't work that way. And this is what I explained at this funeral. 
And it was, the funeral was for a believer. And he would have, he would have wanted me to preach that message. And I didn't do it in a mean or angry way. I explained how sin affects us and how sin separates from God. And our responsibility is to receive what Jesus has already done for us. It's that simple. It, it, this doesn't count. This doesn't mean anything. It's receiving what Jesus has done. That's what we're celebrating here with the Lord's table. And Jesus gave his life for us to take care of that separation, to take care of the sin that dwelled in us. And the people, the lights went on for a, a friend of mine that was at the funeral. It was the first time. She said, she said, you really, she said, it took, I, I can't remember how long it took. I, I think it was just a, a, a few months. But she said, she, she stood in her, and she says, God, I give up. I, I, I give up. She says, take me. She, she, she surrendered her life and she said, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It was beautiful, the way she described it. She, she, she realized that this, this doesn't count, but it's what you do with Jesus. That's what counts. That's the only thing that counts. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And I want you to notice here that Paul says we're dead in their trespasses and sins and the way they used to live. These are past tenses and they were following Satan and the ways of the world. The fact is that these past tenses mean that something happened in their life to change what sin was doing and what sin had done. They were no longer under condemnation. And Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And so our only hope for the big bad sin that's in our lives is Jesus Christ. There's no other hope. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. He became sin for us. And, and then, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, this is uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I call this the great exchange. Jesus offers his life and his righteousness for me. He offers that for, and in exchange for my sin, for the, all the bad, all the evil, all the corruption in my heart. Jesus takes that and gives me his righteousness, and when I stand before God, I'm free and saved. That's exciting. And why wouldn't anybody want to do that? Because it's not about this. It's about receiving Jesus into your life. So God made you alive with Christ. He gave us all our, he, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. That was separation from God. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's Corinthians uh, 2, 13 and 14 nailing 
our sin to the cross. Our sin, which Jesus became, our sin was nailed to the cross. We put him there. It was our evil, our corruption, our falling short that put Jesus on the cross. Charles Spurgeon said, I must confess that I never would have been saved if I could have helped it. (laughs) There was no other way, Charles Spurgeon said. He's absolutely right. Indeed, who could be saved if it was up to us? In our sinful condition, none of us would ever seek God. So I say again, and I ask this question again, is sin a big deal? Oh yeah. Sin is a big deal. But Jesus' sacrifice and offer to exchange my sin for his righteousness is even a bigger deal. That's bigger and greater than my sin. That's why the Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us because Jesus died while we were sinners because as sinners we couldn't even reach out to him. Who would want to? We had no power in ourselves to reach out for the Lord and so the Lord reached out for us. Without seeing the depths of sin we'll never understand the heights of God's love and grace. And so we understand that sin that our hearts are wicked because of sin Right, But God's love for us is even greater. His grace for us is even greater. I want to close with John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. God sent Jesus to save us. We're already condemned because of sin. Right? That's, and we'll read that right here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you are unsure that your sin is taken care of, why not do that today? Ask Jesus. Just receive him. Say, I, I agree. It's like this. God, I agree that I'm a sinner and I receive what Jesus did for me. Thank you in Jesus' name.